Good Friday morning. That urgent manhunt in Maine intensifying this morning. Yeah, and the suspect is still on the loose. It is October 27th. This is today. Desperate search, a massive show of force overnight at the family home of the suspect in that deadly shooting rampage. But still, no sign of the accused killer. Entire towns remaining on lockdown this morning as the first victims are identified. The world lost a great girl, and I lost a precious daughter. We'll have the very latest from the scene. Breaking overnight, the U.S. launching airstrikes inside Syria, hitting targets linked to Iran. The operation in retaliation for attacks against American military bases overseas. A live report from the White House just ahead. New raids, Israeli forces and tanks carrying out another round of assaults inside Gaza overnight. We're live with the latest on the war and the growing frustration of families of the hostages. Back in court, the Idaho College murders trial moving forward after the judge denies the suspect's request to throw out the case, his message to the defense, and why cameras will be allowed in the courtroom for trial. Summer vibes, tens of millions up and down the East Coast basking in record high temperatures and set to enjoy the first rain-free weekend since mid-August. Al's full forecast straight ahead. All that plus, that was swift. Taylor does it again, breaking the internet with the overnight release of her new album as she officially joins the Billionaires Club today, Friday, October 27, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to today. Nice to have you along with us on a Friday morning. Yeah, we begin once again in May, where shel- Maine, where shelter in place orders are still in effect for several communities. The suspect in Wednesday night's deadly shooting massacre in Lewiston still on the loose. Multiple law enforcement agencies are involved in this ongoing manhunt for Robert Card, who has been on the run now for more than 36 hours. This morning, there are new questions about the alarming warning signs that may have been missed as we learn more this morning about the victims of a horrific tragedy. 18 people were killed, making it the nation's deadliest shooting of this year. So according to the Gun Violence Archive, which bases its figures on four people shot, not including the shooter, it is the 566th mass shooting in America in 2023. Got team coverage this morning. We'll start with NBC Sam Brock in Lewiston. Sam, good morning. Yes, Savannah Hoda, good morning. Nerves are certainly rattled here, especially after a late night rush of law enforcement surrounding the property of the Card family that ultimately proved, guys, to be a false alarm. At the same time, we are learning crucial new information about the suspect's timeline and how police say he managed to go from a bowling alley to a bar over my shoulder down the street there in a matter of minutes. This is Card's family says they had been worried about his mental state for months. The clock is ticking this morning on an all-out manhunt for 40-year-old Robert Card, who's considered armed, dangerous, and likely off the grid. This is someone that should not be approached. After the mass shooting in Lewiston, Maine, that left 18 people dead and more than a dozen injured. Out of nowhere, he just came in and there was a loud pop. Card is accused of unloading an assault rifle, first at a bowling alley packed with teens for a youth league night, then minutes later at a popular local sports bar in Lewiston. Authorities expanding a shelter-in-place order. As overnight, they executed a search warrant at the Cart family property, calling for anyone inside to come out with their hands up, eventually leaving after there was no sign of the suspect. 
Among many developments, law enforcement officials telling NBC News a note was recovered at Cart's home. Police also say they found a gun in a white Subaru that's been linked to the suspect, though it's unclear if it's the same weapon used in the shootings. As the search continues, the public learning more information about Cart and questions growing about his access to guns. Two senior law enforcement officials telling NBC News the weapon used by Card was purchased legally in 2023. As Card's family tells us, they were increasingly concerned about his mental health after he began hearing voices and making threats. His sister-in-law revealing they alerted police and military officials months ago. And a Defense Department official telling NBC that this July, Army battalion leaders informed staff that he was, quote, behaving erratically and contacted law enforcement. Card then receiving a medical evaluation. How could someone that fits that profile still be in possession of semi-automatic weapons? Well, I do think that the statutes around firearms and the possession of those are pretty complex. Former Army reservist Phil McGregor says Card taught him how to use an M16 rifle. He knew that weapon inside now. As the community reckons with the violence, a change of heart from a local Democratic congressman who'd previously been opposed to banning assault weapons for civilians. I now call on the United States Congress to ban assault rifles like the one used by the sick perpetrator of this mass killing. And there are definitely questions this morning about the gun laws, guys, in Maine following this tragedy. Just a few examples right now. There's no requirement for background checks on private sales. That's certainly one of them. Also, no requirement for permits for concealed carry. And lastly, there are no red flag laws in the state of Maine, which is to say a judge being allowed to temporarily see someone's access or prevent someone's access to weapons based on whether or not they're deemed to be a threat. There are yellow flag laws here, but that does require a mental practitioner to provide some sort of a Evaluation, and at that point, there are questions here as to whether or not that's even used on a regular basis. Savannah, how to back to you? All right, Sam Brock, thank you. In a small community like Lewiston, it seems like almost everybody knows somebody impacted by that tragic shooting. NBC's Emily Aketa joins us now with more on the victims and how their families and friends are remembering them. Hi, Em. Good morning. Hey there, Hoda. Good morning to you. The people here in Lewiston, understandably in a state of shock after the senseless violence claimed the lives of 18 of their family and friends. And we know several people here are still in critical condition. This is the worst mass shooting in the U.S. so far this year and the worst mass shooting ever in the state of Maine. This morning, residents of Lewiston, Maine are grappling with the grief of losing 18 of their own. She was a loving girl. She'll be missed horribly. Among the victims of Wednesday's shooting, 53-year-old Trisha Aslin, who was enjoying a night off with her sister Bobby at the local bowling alley. Her mom says she was shot trying to call 911. Trisha didn't deserve that. Nobody did. The man that did that has no soul. I pray to God he doesn't do that to no more people. I hope they catch him soon. Where are you now? I'm coming to Maine the minute we find out when her body will be released from the morgue. I want to hold my baby one more time. I don't care. I want to put her in my arms. Kim McConville says her cousin, Billy Young, and his 14-year-old son, Aaron, were also among the victims. They're just innocent people, just innocent people out for a night of bowling. This was a children's event. You know, who expects a shooter to go into a children's event? Police say the gunman also went to Shemengi's Bar and Grill, where Joey Walker was a manager. His family says they waited an agonizing 14 hours before they learned he was among the eight people who died there. That moment when I got the call and said, Joey's dead. It, it just it brought me back. It brought me 
right back to my knees. His father, Leroy Walker, telling Lester, police told his son's wife that Joey died trying to help. He died as a hero because he picked up a, a butcher knife and he tried to go at the gunman to stop him from shooting anybody else. Does that change your pain at all? Oh. Knowing that? It, it made it worse. This close-knit community in disbelief that something so horrible could happen here. I'm going to go home tonight and, and be with my kids, and I'm not going to watch the news thinking, wow, that was in Florida or Texas. That was in my backyard. Surreal. Unreal. And the tragedy hitting Maine's deaf community especially hard. The wife of 36-year-old Joshua Seal says he was one of several members of the deaf community killed on Wednesday. The group had gone to that local bar for what was supposed to be a fun night of cornhole, a night that was shattered by just horrific violence. Hoda? So many horrible, tragic stories. Uh, Emily Aketa. Emily, thank you so much. Overseas now, breaking overnight, the U.S. launching airstrikes inside Syria, hitting targets linked to Iran. The Defense Department calling it a retaliatory strike for a series of drone attacks on American military bases in that region. NBC's senior White House correspondent Gabe Gutierrez, the latest this morning. Gabe, good morning. Uh, hey, Savannah, good morning. A senior U.S. military official says the two locations hit overnight were a weapons storage area and an ammunition facility in Syria. It's not clear yet whether there were any casualties. Overnight, a dramatic retaliation. The U.S. striking two facilities in eastern Syria that the Pentagon says were used by groups linked to Iran. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin calling them self-defense strikes that were a response to a series of recent drone attacks against U.S. forces. The Pentagon says there have been at least 19 attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria in the last nine days. 21 personnel have been injured. These strikes meant to deter Iran, which the U.S. says backs the groups launching the attacks. Austin saying, quote, Iran wants to deny its role in these attacks against our forces. We will not let them. We know that these are Iranian-backed uh, militia groups uh, that uh, are supported by Iran. And of course, we hold uh, Iran responsible uh, for these groups. The new U.S. airstrikes come after President Biden delivered this stark warning to Iran's leader on Wednesday. My warning to the Ayatollah was that if they continue to move against those troops, we will respond, and he should be prepared. Amid rising tensions in the region, the Biden administration is walking a fine line, hitting Iranian-backed groups suspected of targeting the U.S. in an effort to deter future aggression, but not wanting to provoke a wider war. A senior administration official telling NBC News these strikes were entirely separate from the current U.S. diplomacy surrounding the Israel-Hamas war, adding they have to do with restoring deterrence and going after the facilities that targeted our people. No response yet from Iran, Savannah. All right, Gabe Gutierrez on the north line of the White House. Thank you. As for the war, Israeli forces conducted a new round of raids on Hamas targets inside Gaza overnight. NBC's chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel has made his way to the Israel-Gaza border. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Hoda. We saw another Israeli incursion inside the Gaza Strip, and we may see more of these in the coming days as Israel goes into Gaza to attack Hamas and probe the, the group's defenses. Israel carried out another incursion into the Gaza Strip with a column of tanks pushing in for the second night in a row, this time in a new part of Gaza, further east, with drones and jets firing on what Israel says were Hamas command sites. 
Israel's defense minister vows a full-scale invasion will come when the time is right, while airstrikes and limited incursions prepare the ground. Gaza is being leveled. One leading Israeli newspaper this morning describing the amount of force being used makes hell sound pleasant. The health ministry in Gaza, run by Hamas, says more than 7,000 Palestinians have been killed so far. Our crew in southern Gaza witnessed an Israeli airstrike and rushed toward it. A boy is rescued from the rubble, but a girl remains trapped. She's eventually freed, and our cameraman caught up with her in an ambulance. She's dazed at a hospital. She's treated on the floor, given air, and comes around as she's cleaned. She says her name is Miral and asks if her father is alive. The medic tells her he's fine, but doesn't know. The Israeli military says it's preparing to fight Hamas in the militant's network of tunnels under the Gaza Strip. It's a dangerous and complicated mission, especially since that's where freed hostages say they were kept. Israel increasing its estimate of the hostages in Gaza this morning to 229. The Israeli public is increasingly divided over the full offensive. A poll this morning saying 49% of Israelis saying Israel should wait. In Tel Aviv, families of hostages are growing frustrated, saying they're being forgotten in the push to expand the war. Before the, uh, the army getting inside Gaza, there is much more important thing to bring them back. A small amount of aid did get into the Gaza Strip this morning, but no fuel, which is needed to power generators at hospitals. Israel says the fuel could go to Hamas. Hold on. All right, Richard Angle for us there at the Israeli-Gaza border. Richard, thank you. Just about quarter after Craig's with us. An alarming close call for the military. Yeah, Savannah Hoda, good morning. Good morning to you as well. Uh, close indeed. Video of that incident just being released. The Pentagon says a Chinese fighter jet came within 10 feet of an American B-52 bomber flying over the South China Sea this week, nearly causing an accident. You can see the video there, right, on your screen. It says the fighter jet closed in on the bomber at an uncontrolled, excessive speed, flying below and in front of the Air Force plane. The Pentagon called the maneuver, quote, unsafe and unprofessional. Chinese officials did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Our weather hot yes. or record highs yes. today. Look at some of these temperatures. Yesterday here in the Northeast, gorgeous. Albany going to be close to a record today. New York close. Philadelphia at 79, very close. Providence, Rhode Island, 80 degrees today. That's crazy. Record highs again tomorrow from Bangor, Hartford, Wilmington down to Asheville, Jacksonville. But here comes the cooler air behind it. Detroit tomorrow is going to be 55. That's a 20 degree drop of temperature. temperature. Des Moines, 41. St. Louis, 53. That's a 28-degree temperature drop. Then those temperatures, those cooler conditions move on in. Sunday in Pittsburgh, you're at four, uh, 64. Reverse the numbers Tuesday, 46. New York, 59. Down to 50 on Tuesday. F upper 50s in Richmond. Low 40s in Milwaukee. And here in the Northeast, are we going to break this rainy streak? Eight weeks consecutive of the last nine weekends with rain, seven consecutive weekends in New York and Philly. So here we go. 
Saturday, looking great. Look at this sunshine. No rain. Near record warmth in Boston. Sunny and warm in New York. Philadelphia, very warm. So here comes Sunday. Oh, Uh, some showers in the afternoon in Boston, some evening showers in New York and a few showers in Philly. So it's it's a it's it's a it's a semi. No, no. We'll take that. All right. There you go. I'm feeling good. I hope you're feeling good. And that's your latest weather. All right, Al, thank you. Still ahead, key new developments and decisions tied to the Idaho College murder case. Laura Jarrett is following this one for us. Hey, Laura. Hey, Hoda. The judge in the case clearing the way for a trial and cameras in the courtroom. We're going to break it all down coming up next. All right, Laura, thanks. And then a Today exclusive on a story that made headlines all around the world. You remember the pilot who suffered a medical emergency at the controls? And that led to a passenger with zero experience flying. Landing the plane. Well, the pilot is back. He's better. He's flying again. And he's going to be right here in our studio to talk about his recovery and what it's like to finally return to the cockpit as a solo pilot. But first, this is Today on NBC. Hello, parents, homeschoolers, and teachers. Trusty narrator here from the Who Smarted podcast. Our 15-minute episodes are perfect for car rides, bedtime, break time, class time, or any time. We make learning science and history fun and funny for 7 to 11-year-olds with new episodes every week. Look for Who Smarted on any podcast platform or at whosmarted.com. And teachers get a free subscription to our ad-free version by clicking educators at whosmarted.com. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console consoling. Smart thermostat set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go. You are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet. Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film The Aviators now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Seven thirty. Let's flashback. Let's go to twenty twenty two Halloween. Remember we had that Vegas themed excitement. You know how we do it. We always go flash terror. Yeah, that we were, we were scared. Flashback. What's funny is we thought we were like on top of the Empire yeah. State Building there. Yeah. Okay. Here's. I mean, it's just Halloween on the eighties. That was good. I mean, look at. Okay, that uh-huh. was one of my favorites. What are we gonna do this year? Uh-huh. How could we ever top Chanel as Janet? I mean, uh, look at you as a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. Let's Remember not. Those days? Oh, do you I ever? Jenna. Okay. Uh huh. So we're gonna do a two-day Halloween extravaganza. We are. Yeah. And on Monday, so Halloween is Tuesday. Yeah. Monday, we're gonna share a clue, okay, about what how we're doing it on Tuesday, and then Tuesday's the big day, the live reveal. By the way, it's gonna be good. This yeah. is gonna be a good one. Thanks. We're got, excited. Yeah, we're excited practice about. over the weekend. All right, so come down practice. to the plaza. Yeah, I've got to practice. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's oh, a clue right there. Reveal. Clue. Performance uh-huh. aspect. All right, come down and see us. By the way. Uh, meanwhile, we do have a lot of news to get to in this half hour, starting with the case that we've been following for nearly a year now. Yeah, the suspect in the Idaho College murders was back in court yesterday. The judge issued several key rulings, and NBC's senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett, has been following it for us. Hi, Laura. Good morning. Hey, good morning to you guys. If everything had gone as scheduled, I'd be here talking to you about the start of Brian Koberger's trial had been set for this month. Instead, the case has been bogged down with delays for months, but those days could soon be over as four families wait for answers. Just because the courts didn't like 
This morning, the murder trial against Brian Koberger moving full speed ahead after a judge in Idaho refused to dismiss the whole case. I appreciate the argument. I think it's really uh, creative. I am going to deny that, uh, that argument. Prosecutors and defense lawyers battling in court for hours Thursday. The judge opting to keep cameras in the courtroom over Koberger's objection. He's been charged with the stabbing death of four University of Idaho students, Zana Carnodal, Ethan Chapin, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonzalez, in this off-campus home. His defense team arguing the prosecution wrongly instructed the grand jury to indict using a standard of proof lower than required. There's clearly prejudice in the record that the court can see from what they were being instructed. The judge finding no support for that claim, saying his hands are tied. I am constrained by the by existing law. I can't just change the law. Much of the legal wrangling in the case has been shrouded in secrecy. Hours of arguments earlier Thursday held behind closed doors. The grand jury uh, is secret, so that's why it's sealed. Koberger's defense team urging the judge to dismiss the case on other grounds as well, suggesting in court papers the grand jury was biased, there was insufficient evidence to charge him, and prosecutors withheld other evidence that could exonerate him. What exactly that evidence might be remains unknown. A judge entered a not guilty plea on Koberger's behalf in May. The state has said it is seeking the death penalty. All rise. Meantime, the families of the victims are anxious for a trial date, as next month marks one year since the grisly killings rattled this tight-knit community. They were amazing, amazing kids in the prime of their life. The mother of Ethan Chapin appearing at a true crime convention in September with a simple message. Don't forget these kids. It's interesting. There were a lot of issues dealt with yesterday, but mm -hmm. let's just, I mean, Clearly, the defense is throwing everything it can to kind of throw out this in indictment. In, in, but the trial is headed full speed ahead from yesterday. Sure. And I think this was sort of a Hail Mary motion that they put in about the jury instructions saying that they use the wrong standard of proof, just so people at home understand. It's never been the case that probable cause shouldn't be used in front of the grand jury. That's It's always been a lower standard in front of the grand jury. And for a trial, we all know it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Everyone's heard that a million times. But for a grand jury, it's lower. All you have to find is that it's more likely than not he committed the crime. So it sounds like the defense is just trying to slow down this whole process. So where are we it's on been a working, well, right? where are we on a trial date? When's well, that going to be set? So it, I think now that they've sort of cleared the decks, they've gotten yeah. rid of a lot of these motions the judge did yesterday. I think now we're going to see that trial date pretty soon because it's been a year. And look, murder cases take a while. There's yeah. a lot of discovery. Both sides have to trade, especially a case like this, a lot of forensics. But it's been a year. I think the judge is going to set it pretty soon. It did also seem like yesterday we got a sense of where the judge stands when it comes to cameras in the courtroom. Yeah. What, what do you think we might see during the trial with cameras? Well, Koberger's team had made a big push to keep the cameras out. They said it's too prejudicial. And the state actually agreed and said, you know what? We, too, actually would be fine with no cameras because, remember, they're worried about what would happen on appeal. If down the line an appellate court said we think that was the wrong call, mm -hmm. cameras shouldn't have been there, the whole case could get thrown out. So the state doesn't want that to happen. But the judge, interestingly, said, look, I'm going to keep the cameras for now. I'm going to exert a little bit more control. What that looks like, we don't sure. know yet. He didn't spell it all out. But I think for now we could hopefully expect to see cameras in there. And the families have been the ones pushing for it for transparency. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what's so interesting. You have both parties. The, yeah. the, mm -hmm. the prosecution and the defense don't want the cameras, but the families do. So here mm -hmm. the judge yeah. is trying to 
walk that line, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. judges Call. do. All right, yeah. Laura, thank Thanks, you. Laura. Sure. Uh, much more ahead on a Friday morning, including a new look at the final season of The Crown, revealing the heroine final chapters of Princess Diana's life. We're going to have that for you coming up on Pop Star. But first, the end of an era. The beloved giant pandas at the Smithsonian <laughs> National Zoo preparing to take their final bows before they take that long journey home. We'll take you there live right after this. We're back, 740, and this morning, some of Washington's favorite residents are preparing to say goodbye. Oh, we're talking about mm-hmm. the beloved giant pandas at the Smithsonian National Zoo. Just this mm-hmm. week, we learned they will be leaving D.C. sooner than expected. NBC's Kelly O'Donnell is there for us. Kelly, good morning. Good morning. Oh, this is a tough one. Just a couple of weeks left for visitors to see the giant pandas here in person before they travel to China with their veterinarian and zookeepers. China owns the pandas and the contract ends in December. The National Zoo is sending them a little bit early without giving a specific date. And what a nostalgic end of an era. Saying goodbye can be unbearable. The beloved giant pandas of the Smithsonian National Zoo have long been the most popular attraction here. I am sad to see them go, but it was neat to see them today. A sentimental transition is underway for the panda staff. I see them almost more than I see my family at home, so it's... It's hard not to love your job when you're working with pandas every day. The big change ends 50 years of panda diplomacy. In 1972, First Lady Pat Nixon welcomed the gift from China. I am pleased to be here and accept the precious gift of the panda. Later, China leased pandas to U.S. zoos, and that deal is over, forcing the return of Mei Xiong and Tian Tian after 23 years in Washington and their cub, Xiao Qi Ji. Certainly, uh, lots of mixed emotions. To prepare for a 19-hour flight to China, the pandas are now in crate training. Look at that. Good girl. That is the biggest part of preparation for their shipment is because they're going to be spending hours in that crate. So we want to make sure that they're very comfortable. Their flight is a kind of Panda Express operated by FedEx. FedEx has actually transported 15 pandas on 10 separate uh, flights over the past two decades. With extraordinary in-flight dining, 60 to 80 pounds of bamboo will be served, plus favorite treats. Mei Shang really loves her pears. Tian Tian really loves sugarcane. Um, Chao Shiji likes butternut squash. And then they'll all get apples or carrots, sweet potato, things like that. For fans, their November farewell is bittersweet. I'm just heartbroken that they're leaving. We don't know the sweet part. We saw the bitter part. Now, <laughs> yeah, Kelly. Yeah. We're kind of bummed out. So is there, so any, I know, is there anywhere else, if you want to see a panda anywhere else in the United States, you can see them? Well, China owns all of the pandas that have been here, and there will only be one place left, and that is the Atlanta Zoo. They have four giant pandas. But make your plans now, because that contract ends in 2024. And so the future of pandas here in the U.S. is really uncertain. This is a tough one. Yeah, mm. it is. All right, Kelly O'Donnell for us there. Kelly, thank you. Thanks, Cal. All right, let's go to Al, get a check of the weather. Are you bummed out? I am. You know, there's going to be a rush on seeing those pandas, pandemonium. Uh, oh, <laughs> Oh, oh, God. <laughs>
Good one. Uh, anyway, uh, we're looking at this frontal system, a big storm system making its way. I'm surprised Kelly didn't use that one, to be quite honest. Uh, we are going to be watching it today. The cold front slowly advancing through the Midwest. Heavy rain and a flood risk increasing for our friends down in Dallas. As this system moves to the east tomorrow, this surge of moisture in the southern plains is going to continue. Heavier rain, and we're going to have an icy mix from Colorado into Minnesota on into Saturday. Then Sunday, this system spreads into the northeast in New England. We're going to be looking at down pours ice and snow continuing to cause big problems for the plains. You can look heavy rain in the mid-Mississippi River Valley locally up to five inches of rain in parts of Arkansas and then snowfall. We're looking right in the Rockies. You're going to see about six to 12 inches of snow. Montana's already picked up two feet out of this system. And that's your latest weather. Hoda? All right. Thanks, Alex. Guys, coming up on Popstar, she's a music icon, but here's the question. Why is Cher saying that she's not a Cher fan? Mm. We'll tell you what we know coming up. <laughs> 